0: We got him, Captain. We got the bastard," the guard said as he burst through the doors of the town hall. A patrol caught him coming back to town, alone. Good, Captain Imdra Arlagath said. Ever since evidence had come across her desk regarding the disappearance of a number of guides hired by this wizard of the Arcane Brotherhood, she had patrols and postings outside the town to keep an eye out for this D'Zan. Their efforts had paid off, it would seem. Did he put up a struggle? Uh, Surprisingly, no. He looked in bad shape when they found him, or at least distracted. He's down in the hold if you want to see him. There's no need. I'm not in the mood to see a murderer today. This was enough for the captain to bring to the town speaker, Danith Wayland, to bring this story to a close as far as she was concerned. Things hadn't improved in town over the past few months, and with the waters of Lakdynasher only continuing the freeze over, they weren't likely to improve. Did the wizard have anything on him? Uh, just this, the guard said, and put a weathered satchel on the desk. We haven't gone through it yet, but it's not trapped. Good, I'll take a look at it myself. Imdra dragged it closer to her from across the desk. Get the pyre ready there would be justice in East Haven this night. A good thing too, for the satchel contained nothing but a couple oddities. Some sort of magic bag and a scroll of fireball. Nothing to tell where he came from or went out in the dale. Nothing to say more of what happened to the people he hired to show him whatever in this frozen hell he was looking for. And they were no longer alive to tell their story. No priests or other spellcasters to speak with the dead. A shame on all counts, and the current circumstances of living in East Haven did little to lighten the mood. Everyone had gathered at the town square to see the wizard burn. Luskin had always been at odds with ten towns, and any other place they shared borders with, it seemed. So the folk were not surprised of Dizan's treachery but perhaps a bit too excited for the punishment at hand. He gave no answer to any questions, no pleading for mercy. He simply smiled, knowingly, without remorse. Yet he screamed when the fires began to wrap around him, tied to a post that would not budge no matter how hard he tried or begged it to. What is going on here, Tessa said. How could you burn this man alive? Tvesk stepped forward to get a better look at the robes presently being immolated. Eh, trust me, if what those kids said is true, this snake deserves a death like this. And then some. Imdra turned and made out a small group of adventurers coming from the direction of Bryn Shander. These'll do, she thought, for another task requiring bravery to the endless dark. We left it last week with the group returning from their trek out into the fields proper of Snowy Icewind Dale. They had successfully retrieved the sled filled with ingots bound for Bryn Shander and not from the yeti that had attacked the dwarves who had offered them the job in the first place. Instead, the sled was taken by a group of goblins, crossing the dale atop a polar bear-driven wagon. They disarmed that group near the sled in one fell swoop, with a good sleep spell and a crossbow bolt. From there, it was simple negotiation with the leader of the goblin group, Izabai, and the ingots were theirs. They headed back towards town. All the more heroic for their actions. I'm glad the party followed through with this goblin quest, and also the adventure to place it as the focal point of an encounter here in the central part of Ten Towns, um, where parties are either likely to start or run through at some point. Um, Small spoilers to follow. Chapter 2 of the adventure focuses on a similar premise to Chapter 1, where the party goes around the entire dale itself for their adventures, as opposed to generally sticking to the towns and known roads. There's random encounter tables, ghost cabins, and ice prison, abandoned places buried deep beneath the ice. You get the idea. The scale of the adventure jumps up to that of uh, proper tier 2 play when the players are more confident and capable in their abilities and one of these also involves the players infiltrating the goblin encampment of uh, (laughs) Krakolok hidden deep in the foothills of the spine of the world. The adventure does a lot of this, and that's a good idea for you to do as well, whether you're running your own homebrew or trying to mix things up in a pre-made. Players love it when things wrap back to the stuff they've already encountered, and you'll look way cooler than it sounds for doing it. Um, maybe that first dungeon they go into used to belong to a dragon they encounter months later, or an ally that disappeared on them suddenly appears by surprise in a future adventure when they could need it, perhaps. Um, for Rime of the Frostmaiden, a lot of these small quests and events in Chapter 1 lead into Chapter 2, and you do well to go ahead and layer the encounters the players have in the former to lead to similar ones in the latter. That the case being, for example, this one doing the goblin-related cat quest for Brinchander, and then perhaps later infiltrating the goblin fortress in Chapter 2. Um, of course, you could just let them do what they want. No pressure on you, whatever sounds the most fun. At the end of the day, that's what's most important when playing Dungeons & Dragons. Um, I did leave you all off with one other tidbit, though, and that's the side story for players who are away from the table or unable to play come game night. Whatever the circumstances, I've, um, I've never been a fan of just having some reward for a player who shows up. Um, like, oh, while you were gone, your uh, ranger got a plus two longbow. Um, or just having the character dragged along as part of the adventure. So I've been doing this uh, thing for a while, and it seems to work. For about the first 10 to 15 minutes of the game, just ask that player um, what their character's been up to. Maybe they've just been hanging out at the tavern, waiting for the party to return, or they had their own secret task to take care of back in town. You can even have a little roleplay encounter for this as well. It doesn't have to just be the player describing it to you. For John Variable, our human paladin, he was doing research. None of them has had a chance to work out exactly what happened to that unifying, currently anonymous background mentor figure that had asked each of them to show up this far north to assist them. For John, he was just asking around town for rumors and reading about the local area. Uh, but I'll be honest and just say that I still have no f- idea what I'm doing or going to do about this NPC. I know it's, it's going to be um, a gnome, which I let be up to the players, but that's about it. I opted to instead take this opportunity to inform the players more about the region, since all of them, um, except the hobgoblin wizard Tvesk, uh have never been to Icewind Dale. Some knowledge spread throughout the group probably would do some good, so I figured John could get uh, learnt up a little bit while uh, he was in town. I also had a cleric of Tempest in the tavern for John to speak to. Um, prior to the game starting, the player wasn't sure what god or cause that John would yet pledge himself to, so I thought I would have a god that's traditionally been associated with this particular part of the Forgotten Realms. This again ended up being more of an exposition dump, Uh, talking about who Tempest is, what he's about, where he's been, uh, what his hobbies are, etc. But the player showed interest in it, so I'm just going to chalk that up as a win. Um, And that's about all you need to do for what kind of stuff I do uh, as preface for players coming back to the table. You don't need an hour-long focus on just this one character to get them back into the narrative. uh, Narrative or um, even have the perspective of going back and forth between two groups of uh, players if it's split up, like when Jorora's um, player was joining the campaign. If the other players are into watching the other interactions as a bit of theater, that uh, that may be fine, and that's just something you have to know about your own group. But I'll say that for me, sitting around at the table for an honest-to-God hour-plus uh, with a narrative focused entirely elsewhere from my character, or or, um, or any other input, uh, I kind of start zoning out. I may just be kind of a sh- player, which is another topic I could speak about for a while. Uh, awkward laugh. <clears throat> so, John meets up with his friends at the eastern gate of Brindshender, along with Hruna, uh, Koroks, and Storn, the Dwarves who gave them the job in the first place. The book gives a bullet point here about each of the characters, and I think each of them is strong enough that you can have the character act in that way in order to convey to the players uh, something memorable. For example, it mentions Storn has a fear of dragons, so I just said some wind came by and it spooked him, getting him to talk about his phobia for a bit to the party. Not every NPC they're going to run into is going to be as memorable um, as the last one they run into, or, or going to be the ones that they talk about for years to come afterwards, or remember as actual people, like you'll just say the name of that character and they know who you're talking about. But you can have little moments like this that make it stand out from the others. Um, oh, and also dragons do show up later, probably in the adventure. So hey, it's good to just kind of layer that in again to um, possible future events. Sorry, I, I, uh, I lost track of what it was that I was talking about for a second. I meant to just talk about the party regrouping, were grouping, um, handing the ingots over to the siblings uh, Garn and Elza that run Black Iron Blades here in Bryn Shander, um, and then the party that is going on their merry way. I set up a page for a quest log in our Discord server that we use as a way to keep items in the queue. And they were still keen on heading up to uh, one of the care towns, uh, Ker Dinval or Caer um which run along the northwestern shores of um to look for the missing innkeeper's son of Bremen, Huarar Mulfun. Unfortunately, none of their friends was able to give them much info other than that they heard one of the castle towns was having some bandit trouble. This is just a rumor off the table from the book. I just left out which town it was specifically to keep them guessing. They still had some kind of lead to go off of, but figured it may be best to head just to the next major town over. And in this case, that settlement um, was along Lactinneshire, East Haven, on the southernmost and closest to Brinchander of those um, Lactinneshire settlements. Uh, For them, the party, this was just going to be a natural stop on their way up. Gather some information, recuperate, head along the lakeside to find their quarry. Uh, So, of course, they arrived in town just in time to see a man being burned alive. Here's some quick perspective. For the longest time, Ten Towns has had to deal with shenanigans from its neighbor Luskin. Uh, A pirate town, or city, I guess, uh, ultimately, and a major port uh, in this part of the Sword Coast. It doesn't have a direct path to Ten Towns. There's a couple uh, places that are in between, um, along with the entire Spine of the World mountain range. But there's enough going on in Ten Towns for the nefarious characters of Luskin to show some interest in the area. This includes the Arcane Brotherhood, who basically fall under your typical evil wizards guild vying for control and power uh, for this part of the world. At least that's the extent of my understanding, and as much as the book gives them. I think I, I, I haven't really looked too much into that part of it. Uh, also, now that I'm writing this, I think this is the third foreshadowing moment we got in a row. Uh, Dazan, the wizard being burned alive, was found guilty of murdering uh, a group of guides he had hired out or for uh, venturing out into the Dale. And wouldn't you know it, there's also a ding-dang spot for them to visit out there, too, related to this event happening. Wow. <laughs> But uh, I think that the players actually will end up there at some point, so I'll just hold off on previewing, uh, previewing too much of that place. Suffice to say, it's the sort of thing a cabal of bad magic people are interested in. All East Haven's law enforcement is interested in is getting rid of a murderer. When they first arrive, Tessa makes out the bright lights from over the city buildings, and it's not until they get closer they realize what's actually happening. From what the people tell them, however, justice is being done and it's a tad too late to save Dizan, if the party was even inclined to do so. They are, however, approached by the captain of East Haven's militia, Imdra Arlagath. It's not too often adventurers come into town looking for work, and there was a matter of missing persons that needed to be solved. Four fishers went missing on Lakdynashir a ten day ago. The coastline is hard to sail along because of the ice flows, but savvy anglers prefer it. There are fewer competing fishers from the other lake towns there. We need someone to scout the coastline and search for them. Definitely a strong hook, and gets any good-aligned party's attention immediately. The party asks a number of questions before retiring to the local inn, the White Lady, deciding to head out to the lake uh, looking for these folk on the morrow. At the inn, however, they run into one more uh, adventure or episode before the night itself is over. I'll uh, be up front and give props to Jorora's player for getting into the roleplay of the following moments. It's the drow's first time on the surface, and even a couple months later is still unaccustomed to living topside. This is an aspect that the player really wants to lean into, even in circumstances where it ends up um, hurting the party. Which, kudos to them. I I think it can be hard to want to do something from a character's perspective, knowing that it will cause uh, harm in the player's perspective. One of the personalities inhabiting the white lady is a halfling, uh, self-styled bard named Ronaldo, uh, who would be conducting a seance in the back room of the inn. He invites the party as well as a few other commoners uh, there as well. All but one, and um, I think it was John, decided to attend to hear the story of the inn's namesake, a woman whose husband always kept his treasure in a locked chest that never left his side. It was this heavy chest, Ronaldo suggests, that capsized the boat they were both on and sent them, uh, the two of them uh, to a sunken grave in the lake. There is some nugget of truth to this story. Ronaldo is able to conduct the seance and channel the spirit of the white lady. The group succeeded on some preliminary persuasion checks to invite the spirit in um, and were able to ask it a number of questions, with Rinaldo uh, providing simple responses that he received while... Um, uh communing, communicating uh, what what do you call a seance um conducting uh all right uh yeah conducting that's what google says so i'll just go with that anyways things start to go sideways when the players try to grill the spirit of the white lady about her demise about what actually occurred uh, on the lake she is um evasive she's not keen to give an answer about this and that's okay Sometimes players just don't get answers for the questions they ask, and it's probably understandable that if there's any truth to this story that the uh, white lady herself doesn't want to reveal it. However, uh, Jarora acted in turn, thinking it either uh, some trick by the bard or the spirit, and drew her sword. Uh, The spirit grew angry at this, bellowing a mournful howl to frighten everyone in the room, including Jarora with her blade still drawn. In her fear, uh, she headed towards the entrance of the inn, causing a scene and attracting the attention of the guard captain they met only a few hours ago. The tension was ripe, the players unsure how the locals would react to outsiders disturbing the peace in this manner, and tried to reason with the guards uh, what had happened, explaining the situation as best they could. They succeeded, but for a brief moment, the players thought they were going to get arrested or have some kind of tpk or need to flee the scene and that's okay for them to think from time to time (laughs) tent towns isn't as hostile though as other parts of the realms they need to keep the peace all the same but they've had their own share of stories regarding outsiders and their heroics for the region another story for another time though for now the party got off with a warning that cold uh ever winter evening and returned to their rooms they had a job in the morning awaiting them and would need rest to navigate the icy waters of Lacadina Share. Thanks for listening. Feel free to contact me on socials at DMDC Podcast or send an email to dmdiscoursepodcast at gmail.com. If you like, subscribe to the show on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you really like it, tell a friend or two to check it out. Love y'all. Have a great week.